This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Merry Christmas. A couple days it will be. Four more sleeps, five more sleeps. I'd have to check my kid's calendar that she's got on her door. She's got a countdown from like December 1st. So it's always she wakes up and flips it over. So something like that. Yeah, we're on the precipice of Christmas, a new year. And um, this is a great podcast that we get to sit down with Rod Geltaka. He's the uh, president of the CCFR. And uh, Rod's really articulate guy, really knowledgeable about firearms and a great advocate for, um, you know, making sure that uh, legal firearms owners in Canada are well represented where they need to be. Yeah. For those that don't know, the CCFR is the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. Basically, uh, a a hardcore lobby group to, to make sure that we are able to still have our firearms. If it wasn't for groups like this one, I... I dare to say that we probably would be stuck to a, a central storage if we even had that much. So incredibly thankful Rod found some time in his busy, busy schedule to to sit down with us for an hour and talk about what's going on with uh, C21 and C71 and all the other fun ones that we've been dealing with. When C21 came out, this latest amendment uh, in SECU, I reached out to him within a couple of days and he's like, uh, he was this like he was in Ottawa, he was going down. Um, and, uh, obviously, you know, there are a lot advocacy lobbyist group. He was lobbying for, uh, legal firearm or firearm owners rights. And, um, so yeah, it took a couple of weeks to get on the podcast and we're just really grateful that he was able to do this. So, you know, Steve, I think that's worthy that we talk a little bit about why, you know, we've, shared some firearm stuff over the years and we got a little bit of pushback saying, Hey, your mandate is wild sheep conservation. Um, what we've been seeing now is our members are saying, why the hell aren't you guys coming out on, uh, you know, supporting the CCFR talking about C21. And, um, we have been actually as a board, we've been talking about it and, um, you know, we, we do feel strongly, uh, we've heard from our members how important this is, but, um, you know, and, and Steve, I know that you're a, a gun advocacy guy. You you have been more so to me. I, don't get me wrong. I am too. But I, I know that you're very active in it. Uh, you were involved with uh, KKS Tactical doing supporting uh, their social media work. Um, and, and you've wrote articles on this stuff. You're very knowledgeable on it. But, um, you know, this one hit really darn close to home, right? With, uh, you know, it's affecting guys like you and I. Mm-hmm. It did. It does. And a couple of years ago, I wrote that article, uh, but it's just assault rifles for BC Outdoors. And it went viral. And I, I touched on it and said that it, it, that it was a play, that it wasn't just assault rifles they were coming for. And here we are two and a half years later. Well, guess what? Uh, Ruger number one, falling block action, single shots. They're on the list. Uh, Weatherby Mark V, Bolt action, they're on the list. There are shotguns on the list from 1908, like, like a Mauser action and variants of. So we dig into this a little bit with Rod and just exactly what the variant means and the word capable in the the bill means and how scary it really truly is and how uh, hunters and sport shooters and airsoft shooters and handgunners and IPSC users and all of the above need to come together on this same team quickly 
and get engaged because we're we're on that thin edge of the wedge about 15 years ago and we're falling down the other side of it now so yeah it was it was great to chat with rod and i i just hope some of our listeners can can uh see what's going on well it's a bit of a nasty progression right if we look over the last uh two years and certainly over the last six months uh, you know the handgun ban um, you know, this latest amendment with, during Insecu that's come out and like you said, all those firearms that you've just mentioned. So, um, and then the big thing that Rod sort of really f- heavily focuses on is, you know, what it's doing is setting the step for what happens next, right? So it makes it very easy. This amendment makes it very easy for the next step. And then now it's not uh, legislation, it's just regulation. Now the the uh, this is a regulation change, and then all of a sudden, this is on the list, and that's on the list, and that's on the list. So, that's a real serious concern of the CCFR, and something that we need to be uh, wary of. And, and uh, hence, um, the Wild Sheep Society BC Board of Directors two weeks ago met uh, for their board meeting, and um, they made a decision to uh, make a contribution to the CCFR uh, donation to support their effort. Again, this was uh, carefully discussed. Um, we talked about uh, the good, the bad, why we should, um, and there was unanimous uh, support from our board of directors to support it. So, um, yeah, important issue, um, something that as hunter conservationists uh, does and will continue to affect this. And so I guess, you know, my elevator speech is get involved, do what you can. Um, you know, I'm not a big gun guy. I have guns to me. They're kind of almost a tool. Um, but I sure as heck like having them. And if, uh, if I start losing them, I'm, I'm really concerned. And this one hit close to home and, you know, uh, got to give Mike Selden some credit for giving me a kick in the ass saying, you know, how important this was. And, and, uh, I should have been more proactive in the past. I'm getting off this call. I'm going down to see my, uh, MP. I'm going to talk to her, um, send a letter in and I encourage you to do so all our listeners to do the same thing. I know Steve, you're you do this every, like you said, the podcast, you do it every second day. <laughs> yeah, I so, do. I talked, no with my, talked with my MP this morning and always it's, we'll have friendly conversations and hey, just a reminder, this is my stance. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. But as Rod gets into a stack of letters on your MP's desk and hell, even on your MLA's desk, because we've seen what's happened with Alberta and the Yukon and I think it's New Brunswick, they've all come out and said that they are not going to issue uh, orders for their, their law enforcement to go after this. So, because they're listening to their constituents in a provincial level. So you, we're gonna put in the show notes, uh, a, a place to go on the CCFR website, where it's pretty much like we did with the Act Now campaign, where it's a cut and paste and print it off and ship off five letters to your your MPs in Ottawa. It's free postage, costs you 10, 10 minutes of your time and a run to the mailbox. And if we put thousands and thousands of letters on each MP's desk, they're going to listen. They really are going to listen. We got 2.3 million firearms owners in, in Canada. Imagine if we only had 10% of them writing letters. That'd be a campaign that has never, ever seen before. Not in Canada, anyway. Well, it was interesting. Uh, prepping for the podcast, I read that half a million letters were sent in Ontario alone through OFA. So mm-hmm. that's that's insane, and we need to all be doing that. And I'm guilty of not having done it sooner, but I am on. That's a, it's a priority for me. I'm getting that done um, today and tomorrow. That's what I'm focusing on, and I'm going to make some phone calls. You know, and I've heard some people say, "Print off a hundred letters." 
um, prepay the envelopes, have the envelopes ready to go, and go and talk to people and say, "Hey, um, are you? Do you support C twenty one? What's your position?" If and most gun owners are going to say, "Yeah, I don't." And get them to sign the letter and send it in for them. Do it. Like get them to sign it. Do it legit. Don't sign their name for nope. them. Get them to do it. But make it easy for them. Go out, get them, ask them how they feel about it. Yeah, you're good. Okay, sign here. And seal that thing up and go mail it for them. That's how it's going to get done, right? Because, you know, we tend to be lazy um, as, a, as a general rule, people in general, right? So, but if somebody's got something for you, it's done, it's easy to do that. So, um, the the pre- nicely done. Yeah, there you go. Here, I see your package of seventy five envelopes. I guess that's one of the issues be- with me being in BC or in Victoria. I don't have a ton of friends that have firearms in Victoria. I have enough. I, I probably scratched together twenty, thirty, forty letters. I don't know if I can do a hundred, but but even if these people aren't firearms owners, if you can find people on your list and in your social networks that care about how things are done and order and council is what put this thing through in the first place. Those are never done for, for major decisions like this. That means there was no debate in the house. This was simply signed off and said, no, we're doing this. These things are typically used for uh, minor details like uh, paycheck changes or nothing to do with legislation. And that is what they've done. They have circumvented the lawful process that we put in place in Canada. That should enrage a lot of people. And those are the ones I'd be trying to target and do try and target. Put the the CCFR website for the letter on your social media. Engage people. You're going to get people going, what's this? What do I stand for? How does this affect me? Well, this is how, because guess what? I, I made a parallel in one of my articles. Well, guess what? Do you... You, you drive a Mustang right now and all of a sudden they've decided that they're going to ban it because it's got too much power. You got to park it in your garage. And even though it was inherited from your dad, he bought it in 1964 and passed it down. You can never drive it again. And guess what? When you kick off, you can't pass it off to your kid. And now they're going to go ban the neighbor's pickup truck because, well, that was used in a crime. Even though it was a stolen truck, they used it in a crime. That's what's going on with this. This is what it's setting the precedence for. We need to care. We need to give a shit. And if we don't, we're 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 losing, and we're gonna lose quick. Yeah, well said. All right, with that, we're off to episode one hundred and five with uh, Rod Giltaka from the CCFR. And to all our listeners, I want to wish you all a very merry Christmas and happy New Year. That's probably politically incorrect for some of you. If it's offensive, then ha- happy holidays or just have a great whatever couple days off work so but uh for those that believe in that sort of thing merry christmas to you uh love uh the support you've given us this year we love doing this podcast it's so much fun we love having you along for the ride and um we want to wish you a merry christmas happy new year and we'll see you in 2023 we got a pretty cool lineup buddy i i love it because i don't even have to get dressed i can wear sweatpants I thought that was normal attire for you. It really is. It really is. <laughs> awesome. All right, everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas and off to episode 105, Rod Giltaka. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. 
Well, good morning, Rod. Welcome to uh, Talk is Sheep, and thanks for, for teeing this up and coming on our podcast today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So you're a natural at this. You got your own show. Um, let's Before we dive into all the stuff we're going to talk about today, what's, what's your podcast? Um, our podcast is the CCFR Radio Podcast. You can find it on YouTube, uh, on Rumble, on Facebook, on Spotify, iTunes, uh, and I don't know where else it is. It's it's all over the place, but we also have our television show on WOW TV, which is uh, a, a 22 and a half minute version of the CCFR radio podcast from online, and it's called CCFR Radio on the Air. It's been running for, uh, we're in our second year now, and it, uh, oddly enough, I, I know I'm taking it away now, but <laughs> so it's funny because Usually on television, we've had some experience. We've produced a few different television shows and usually you have a season, either 26 weeks or 13 weeks. And this one has no season. It goes every two weeks, all year round forever for as long as I can do it. So yeah, we've, we've got some, we've got some media stuff going on. Awesome. Fantastic. And, uh, I've been joining the podcast. I not a regular listener to any podcast, but I've been listening to yours more lately, for good reason, which we're going to get into today. So uh, I guess before we get going, uh, let's give our guests a bit of an overview. I know a lot of people know who you are. You've, you've, uh, you've been in the media a little bit lately and, uh, and doing a great <laughs> job of representing, but uh, let's just give people uh, the overview on who Rod Giltak is and what the CF- CCFR does. Is that, I'm going to do that? You got yeah, because <laughs> right. I, I can't. <laughs> Not well. <laughs> well, um the, the CCFR has existed for about seven years as a firearm rights organization. Uh, I think that's probably where most people know me from. Previous to that, I had a YouTube channel. And at one point, this is my little claim to fame, but at, what, at one point, it was, the, it was the largest firearm-related YouTube channel in Canada. And that's back probably like you know, 2012, 2013 in those days. I used to do firearm re- reviews and whatnot out of, out of my house. And, uh, and that was a lot of fun. In fact, I think back of those days and when there was all these guns, you could go and shoot and spend, you know, time shooting and getting to know and then do a, a firearm review. And then, you know, we used to have a kind of a community like that. Um, but uh, those days are long gone because we're not going to have many firearms left after the liberals are done with us. But um, my background is in business development, international business development. I uh, started a couple of uh, I had a tech company in Montreal and uh, worked for a variety of green tech companies in business development and uh Eventually, um, I was asked uh, by the people that started the CCFR to be the first president of the organization. And I initially said no, uh, because I had enough on my plate at the time, but was, uh, was eventually convinced to do it. And that started the CCFR way back in 2015. And um, the entire time that we've existed as an organization, we were under liberal government. So liberal majority for four years and this strange creature of a liberal minority coalition kind of thing uh, for the past few years. So uh, in that time, we've gotten to do a lot of really interesting projects uh, on behalf of gun owners. And I guess, uh, I guess and the fight, uh, the battle continues. So I guess that's what I got. Awesome. Okay. So um, great overview there. Let's, let's kind of dive into uh, um, the backstory on how we got to where we are today. And let's start, you know, you can take it back, you know, I don't, don't go too far back, but you know, let's let's talk a little bit of progression of how we got to where we are today. As and then I want to talk about the last two and a half weeks here, but let's let's talk about the run up to that first. Well, I guess it started when the liberals got their their majority. 
um, back in 2015, at the end of 2015. And, you know, they say it was in their platform that they're going to get assault weapons off the streets, dangerous assault weapons off our, our streets. I, you know, I was just on the street even now and I didn't see any, but I've been on the street quite a bit, actually, in the last seven years, haven't, haven't run across any dangerous assault weapons, but it was, you know, it's your typical wedge politics. You have urban voters uh, that actually decide elections in Canada and in uh, Quebec and on, Ontario. And um, those folks, I think, because I've lived in the city, I was born in, in the city and uh, in Vancouver. And I think you get disconnected somewhat um, from a lot of aspects of, of normal life, including the ownership of firearms and, and hunting and sports shooting and all the rest of that stuff. And, uh, and, you know, you hyper-focus on what people tell you is going on in the outside world. And, and I don't mean that for everyone that lives in the city, certainly. Um, but basically firearms are a really great wedge issue because if you don't know anything about them, uh, you can get, you can scare suburban voters just like the liberals have been doing for the last seven years and basically tell them that, the reason there's firearm related violence is because people can legally own firearms in Canada and the people that legally own firearms uh, deploy groups like the CCFR, just uh, ghoulish, terrible people uh, that want Canadians to, uh, you know, apply for a license, maintain that license with good behavior and own their firearms. And uh, and the only way to keep people like uh, the CCFR and people like me, obviously, uh, the way the only way to be protected against us uh, is to vote for liberals and they're the only group that can that can save urban canadians from people like us and and you guys i guess uh, uh assumingly so they it's not unusual i think in the past to see a lot of rhetoric around gun control and political uh, parties you know platform but i think we've been fairly lucky to some degree since the 90s since the, that big prohibition those there were two Two bills plus their regulations, which are C-17 and, and C-68 back in the day, were, were massive prohibitions, massive changes in gun control. But most political parties, they talk that that kind of talk, and we were kind of used to that, but they really didn't do much, right? Um, the liberals came, and they were like, well, we really need a wedge issue. And in fact, if hopefully this isn't boring to anybody, but <laughs> so I'll apologize in advance. But basically, Bill C-71, if you remember that, that was the liberals' first uh, gun bill. And it was, it was stupid. It didn't really have a demonstrable, uh, uh, beneficial effect on public safety, but it was a good political tool. Um, but it wasn't devastating to gun owners. Like it wasn't great, but it wasn't devastating either. And that's kind of this, the same kind of liberal pattern, right? It was always like that. It's just like, oh, we'll come up with something that makes our, our urban voters happy. And we don't want to get, you know, uh, have a big rebellion in the, in the firearms community because there are a lot of gun owners. Um, but I think they felt like they needed a save at the end of that majority government, right? At the end of the four years, that was a couple of years ago. They needed they needed a, a really good wedge issue because they were they were hurting on on a on a number of different levels. Their their implosion of the economy even before uh, COVID. Uh, so they needed something. So they kind of went all in on gun control because fear based issues work really well, you know, uh, especially on people that are prone to be afraid. And not so well on conservatives, but seemed to be really well on urban, urban uh, liberal voters. So we got Bill C-71. That w went all the way through. Then we got Bill C-21. So that was the first version. So this was a, a couple of years ago. So uh, C-21 came out, and it was very similar to this version of C-21. Banning toys, right? Like, so banning airsoft uh, pellet guns, 
uh, paintball, anything that looked like a real gun was now a prohibited device, like a hand grenade or a landmine kind of thing. And so they wanted to destroy any, you know, anyone playing with guns, as it were. Um, and they had a variety of other measures, some red flag stuff where people could anonymously, um, you know, have someone else's uh, firearms taken away and whatnot. And also a municipal handgun ban. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was uh, supposed to be done on a municipal level. And then um, parliament ended. There was an election. The liberals got a weakened minority government back. And then they introduced this version of C-21. And, uh, and it was worse than ever. Uh, All-out ban on handguns. A permissive ban, I guess you could call it. Grandfathering is what it is. And now these... This was the May... This well, was the May 30th. There was, yeah. So I guess I guess I skipped a, a big part because that wasn't legislation. But of course, we had the massive um, gun ban on uh, on May 1st, 2020, which uh, the 1,500 models of, of firearms, including rocket launchers and things like that, that we found on, find on Canadian streets uh, being deployed by street gangs and domestic abusers, yep. obviously. But uh, but yeah. So there was uh, there was that. We sued the government over that, and that's ongoing. Um, but yeah, the uh, the liberals have found. They're like a dog with a bone, and they found a new bone to, to, to drag around, except they they crossed the line a little bit, and they got the hunters angry. And so there's a lot of hunters in Canada, and there's a lot smaller group of sports shooters. Sports shooters are the first to lose their guns. They're the, the first line of defense. The liberals have gotten through, and now they're coming at the hunters. And now now everyone's standing up, so that's good news. So that's that's sort of my version of, the, <laughs> you know, impromptu version of the story. Okay, so... For my understanding, so May 30th of this year was the handgun ban, right? That was the, the version of C21 that came out then. Is that is that my am I correct in that understanding? Well, the handgun late, latest. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, no, go ahead. Talk about that. Oh, well, the handgun ban um, first was uh, done via an order in council. We all heard about orders in council mm-hmm. back in May 2020. They did the same thing. They did it legally this time, so we weren't able to sue them. Um, and, uh, and there was also a bit of a run up to that. So anyone that wanted to transfer a handgun to a family member or buy a new one or whatever, they had their last chance for a period of, I think it was about four or five months we had, uh, because it was, uh, through the summer break. But after that, the door was shut with that. Now, what they're doing is an order in council is basically to create a regulation. And this actually might be really interesting for your, uh, your listeners and viewers. There's a difference between regulation and legislation and how they can affect you. Any minority government can go and write an order in council. And, you know, that's how they banned all these guns. And that's how they banned the handguns, right? So the original assault style weapon ban and the, and the handguns. The, the problem with regulation is, I mean, I guess, well, the number one problem is it's law. So if they prohibit something through regulation, it's prohibited. And if you're caught with it, you will go to jail. You will face criminal charges, have your guns taken away, can't ever have a firearms license again go to jail, all the rest of that stuff. Life's actually wrecked, right? Can't travel, all the rest. Um, But another minority government, just a minority government can come and they can repeal that regulation. Now, legislation is the part that goes through the whole legislative process and the committees and the first, second, third reading over to the Senate, Royal Assent, all that stuff. And that takes around, if they fast track a bill, you'd probably think maybe 14 months something like that. If it drags on like C21 is now because there's so much controversy, it could take two years to pass that bill. But that's the difference. Now to to repeal legislation, you need a majority government. That's hard to get these days in Canada because everyone's so divided. Majority or coalition like the liberals have now. So 
that's that's kind of that's kind of important to understand. Um, so right now, if everything just if if Bill C twenty one doesn't go through, you know, if there's an election before this happens or there's a prorogation, that's where uh, the government calls a pause to government, and that could happen. Um, actually, when we come back from the break, there's rumors of that happening. If there if there's if Trudeau prorogues prorogues the government, that means all the bills die and they have to be reintroduced from scratch. Although there's a caveat there, they can exhume certain bills. But anyway, there's a lot of weird rules. But basically, yeah, if you want to save your guns, you got to get rid of this government. That's the biggest thing. So just from a, to try and understand the process standpoint, um, my understanding is C21 went through first and second reading, kind of just sailed through, and then uh, it went to the uh, Security Standing Committee public um, evaluation process, SECU or whatever mm-hmm. um, the acronym is. And that's where they threw in this latest amendment at the end of November that basically now is is targeting, I guess, 2.3 million legal gun owners in Canada. Is that is that the way it worked? Yeah. So the there's a house process, which is, uh, you, you explained that perfectly. Right now it's in the committee, um, in the uh, committee process. So once once committees are done, interviewing experts and i mean we know we all know what that looks like it's a joke right but anyway interviewing the experts as it were so they can understand the bill and it's all political there's no there's no reality there right that's that's why i'm being facetious about it uh but basically in the committee process you know they kind of vet the bill make sure there's no mistakes or things that could and then at the end of that process you could anyone that's on the committee or any political parties that are represented on the committee can bring amendments to make the bill better or to take some bad things out of it or whatever. So the liberals who actually created the bill have, I think it's 40, 42 or 43 amendments. And these amendments are so enormous, they should have been their own bill to be scrutinized and studied and all the rest of that stuff. And those amendments are no more semi-autos in Canada that, ca- that have detachable magazines, basically, what is what that means. And they're enshrining in legislation some of the things from the gun, well, everything from the gun ban back in May 2020, including if your gun's too powerful, you just it's prohibited. Anything more than 10,000 joules. Or if your shotgun's too big, has more than a 20, 20 millimeter uh, diameter, bore diameter at a specific part in the bore, that's been, that's been a, um, a contentious aspect as well. It's like, well, what part of the bore? Like before the for- forcing cone, after, at the muzzle end, whatever. Um, then that's prohibited as well. But the most important thing, I think, for for most people, they're like, well, how come my hunting gun is affected by that? And that's probably the w- absolutely most important part. The liberals are banning um, a variety of different guns, v- a variety of different firearms based on model alone. So they say it's for whatever their reason. So for uh, for exam- example, I wrote a couple down. Uh, the 1908 Brazilian Mauser, okay, a bolt action, you know, gun from 1908. And they're prohibiting that because it has a military origin. Well, so does the Leanfield. So does, uh, you know, a wide variety of firearms. The SKS, they're banning the SKS. It's just too dangerous to have in society, apparently. Mm-hmm. So the problem is, in the legislation, just like all the previous legislation, this has been a problem for 35 years in Canada. They say these particular firearms are prohibited as well as any variants. Variants, yeah. of if, if, you, if we determine that your firearm is a variant of a firearm that's prohibited. So if your bolt action is a variant of the 1908 Mauser or the Weatherby uh, Mark V, 
it's going to be prohibited. Now that now here's the thing, and this and and there was all this noise about like, well, do you have nineteen thousand models of firearms left? I mean, come on, you can just get rid of these guns, surrender them or whatever, and buy new ones to appease us, right? To to appease the government. And it's like, well, wait a second. When that legislation, if and when that legislation passes, the RCMP Firearms Lab takes over and they look yep. at this new list and it's Murray Smith and the rest of those guys that mm -hmm. you probably saw in committee. And they yep. sit there and they're like, hmm, a bolt action. Hey, it's got a bolt. It's got some locking lugs, it's got a barrel. You know, and now we're going to have to prohibit any variant of mm -hmm. the 1908 Mauser or the Weatherby, you know, all the other bolt actions that they prohibited. And that's the problem. And that's why when they say, oh, you have plenty of firearms left or, oh, this is not a hunting gun ban. Like it, it is when, if and when they decide it is. Because now that they've set the precedent and single shots too, right? The mm -hmm. uh, Ruger, Ruger, Ruger number, number one, one, single shot. So they're like, well, you know what? <laughs> all your single shot rifles, because times are getting weirder. All these single shots got to go. They're all variants of the Ruger number one. And that's mm -hmm. an old rifle, right? So they can say, oh, it's, it shares the same lineage. I've heard all the all the language from these people about variants, but they won't actually define the word variant. That's right. They're like, yeah, we just need it to mean what we need it to mean. And it's, it's been a problem for, like I say, three decades, but that's what's going on. And that's why no matter what they say, no matter what your gun, it's at risk at any time they want to, and mm -hmm. they want to prohibit it, they can. And that's just a decision from the lab, not more regulation, not more legislation. It's literally a bureaucrat under instruction from the Minister of Public Safety. In this case, it's Marco Mendicino of all uh, low ability individuals. He could just say, you know what? These, the rest of these variants gotta go. That's your instruction, Murray. And he'll be like, yeah, this is easy. A bolt action is a bolt action. That's right. So anyway, that's a long, it was a long explanation, but that's our explanations on our side of this argument are always detailed and long because the truth is complicated. That's and right. theirs is more guns equal more deaths. So it's, we're at a disadvantage that way. Yeah, it's 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 scary when when you look at how it was passed through in an order in council because those are never used for making legislations. They're they're simple little things like adjusting paychecks and stuff. There's no yeah, there's no debate in parliament about them, and that's where a lot of people are 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 missing things. Like this is something that they've just said, no, this is our way, like it or not, this is going through. And that's why we have to push back so hard. And as you said, like. You go back to 1908 Mausers, what would you figure? 90% of modern day actions are based on a Mauser action. So you're, you're, you're missing a lot of things there if you're not really paying attention to the wording. And the word, uh, we, we talked briefly about the 10,000 joules, capable of producing 10,000 joules. It doesn't say repeatedly producing 10,000 joules. It just says capable. If I want to hot load a 12 gauge once or 30 odd six once, well, Again, you're hitting a huge blanket of firearms here and people need to, to to really see what's what's in front of them. Well, they're laying out the justification, right? That's the important part. Like they're laying out the framework for them to just like this. And the thing is, we've we've been experiencing reclassifications based on variant and all the rest of this stuff for a long time in the firearms community. And typically it's been people that would buy uh, black rifles, right? more more military looking rifles sporting rifles and so it hasn't touched the greater community that much so we're then that's why we're all familiar with it because we're sitting there it's like okay i bought this at a gun store even back in the reg long gun registry days you know i bought this you know cz858 back in the day i registered it i got a license i got my 
my um, authorization to transport from my restricteds. I know all the rules. I mean, I'm a firearms instructor for the RCMP Canadian Firearms Program still. Um, you know, and I put 3,500 people through that course personally, uh, in addition to everything else that all my other work that I was doing, right? So I know this intimately. So that experience is all the hunters and casual firearm owners, like recreational shooters and all, you're all in the same pool now as we've been. So we've been complaining for a long time because it's been happening to us, but now everybody's in the same mess where, you know, you, you're out in the bush with your, with your gun. You're like, everything's fine. I checked, you know, three months ago, it wasn't prohibited. You run into conservation. Conservation goes to the, um, goes to the FRT, the firearms reference table. That's the tool that they use to determine what the classification of your firearm is. They go in there, you know, you're out in the bush and they're like, okay, you know, I just got a phone call. Uh, this is a prohibited firearm. So now you are in unauthorized possession of a prohibited firearm, which gets you one year mandatory minimum sentence in jail up to 10 years, depending on the circumstances of the offense. So it's five or 10 years. I can't remember which one. So it's like this, the, it's very serious and you haven't done anything, right? So that's, that's what's at stake. So Rod, we talked a lot about some of the stuff that could happen or is going to happen uh, potentially, but there's stuff that's ha has happened. There's stuff that they've banned now. Um, let's go through like for an everyday firearm owner that, you know, this, this new amendment could potentially affect, um, you know, obviously we know about handguns, you know, that's gone. You can't, you can't buy a handgun anymore. Okay. That's, we know about that, but what else is it true about is semi-auto center fires? Are they, have they been prohibited with the exception of like a, a six hour or something? There's, is that true? Is that one of the things that has come out of this? So the, the thing about center fire, semi-automatic rifles and shotguns with five round, you know, uh, that can accept a, a magazine that can hold more than five rounds. That's the, that's the language. And the language is a problem too, because almost no firearms are designed in Canada because our market, well, a couple of things, our market's too small and our government and regulations are too crazy, right? They, they swing all over the place depending on the political environment, right? Not on public safety. Public safety doesn't change too much, right? The, the, the origins of violence in our society, they have, ne have never changed, right? We just haven't addressed them. Um, and we have our, our rate of violence in Canada is actually still fairly low too, to begin with. Um, but basically, so I want to answer your question directly and not get too far off, off track. So where we were going with that? Sorry, it's been a, it's been a crazy week. <laughs> well, I just want to know as a regular, regular law abiding gun owner, that's a hunter, um, you know, not a gun guy per se. Um, you know, what I think hunt and as we've talked about, hunters are more at risk of losing, uh, you know, firearms than, than they've ever been because now regular common firearms are disappearing. They're being taken away. So, you know, for somebody that hasn't followed this, you know, a guy that hasn't looked into it, are there some guns that are maybe in my safe right now that are going to disappear? Right. That's what it was. It was the uh, magazine. So the language basically says that, uh, that any firearm that can accept a magazine um, that has more than five rounds, like designed for. So uh, as I was saying, no firearms are designed in Canada because it's too crazy. The majority of firearms that we get are designed either in Europe or in the United States, mainly the United States. So in the United States, if you have a firearm, let's say a, a browning bar, a lot of people use browning bars for hunting. So if, we, if, if in the United States, you'd have to research the origin of the browning bar, did it ever rig originally come with a seven round magazine or a six round or a nine round magazine? If so, it will be banned. Doesn't matter that you can't get that magazine in Canada 
if it if it was designed to accept a magazine that could possibly hold more than five rounds, it's banned, right? And so that's that's the operative part. So you're like, well, wait a minute, do I have to be a, a history expert on every single firearm? Let's say you're a, an importer that I have to import. I have to research the the lineage of the Browning bar and find historical documents to figure out whether it came with a, a magazine originally was designed to accept a magazine that held more than five rounds. So you can, I think even for, for the layperson, you can see how that language is, is problematic, right? Like that's mm -hmm. an issue. So how am I ever supposed to know that? And then on top of that, of course, we have our like problems for people like you and me, which is, well, how would I even know if the government decided to ban a firearm in that legislation or through regulation later, or the RCMP just declares it a variant? Like how, as a regular person that's just living my life, because remember like social media or, or uh, Twitter, that's not real life, right? So some of us are hyper-focused on those things, but most people aren't. They just go to work and they hunt and they, you know, uh, raise their family and they go on vacation. They do, you know, and they're normal people and they would never know. So there's a lot of problems in, in what they're doing. That's why you're seeing such a, a big uh, uproar over it. Yeah, we saw it a few years ago, well, going back probably seven, eight years ago with the 1022, where they, they banned the the magazines because it can fit the 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 charger pistol right and a lot of people didn't pay attention to that and it's kind of setting the precedence there just because it's capable of it it was banned so it's yeah it's, it's getting ugly and a lot of people need to to see see it well that that is an example but basically it was a uh, it was a magazine that they say were was de designed for the pistol version so if it was originally designed for the pistol version then and now it's prohib, but if it was designed directly for the rifle, mm -hmm. then it's okay, even if it was the same capacity. Exactly. So this, yeah. And this is, <laughs> you know, it's funny, there was a, a liberal MP, I can't remember her name because I never heard of her before, she's from the Maritimes. And, you know, she's like, oh, the manufacturer, manufacturers will step up and build more guns for Canadians. It's like, are you are you insane? Like what, what manufacturer would be like, I'm gonna do business in Canada ever again? You know, I think there was that, there's a Kodiak Defense, Yep. And they made the Crusader rifles mm -hmm. and like, they just released them. Like, I don't know, whatever, right? Like eight months or not, 10 months ago. And now they're, they're going to be gone. prohibited yeah. by name only in this new legislation. Like who would, who would want to do any business with Canadians or in Canada in this kind of environment? It's like, it's, it's clown world. It's upside down world. Yeah. Um, okay, Rod. So let's talk a little bit about where we sit now. So two weeks ago, it was at SECU. They they made the uh, amendment um, to to the C twenty one. Where does it? And, and of course, then it's been a, a bit of a an uproar, right? So you were out in Ottawa. You guys have done a great job of advocating and making us aware. We've had the carry price thing. We've we've had a lot of awareness around it, which is good. So and now we're starting to see. Uh, the NDP, obviously, they're they're starting to take a tone. We're even seeing some liberals. Uh, Yves Blanchet was he's he's been a little bit, uh, you know, uh, milk toast on the whole issue as well. So the people that are typically pro the banning firearms. They're even soft on this. So um, what's happening with that, and where does it go from here um, potentially? Well, you're seeing rural MPs, whether they're with the uh, NDP, the Bloc, or um, or the Liberals. They're getting to the point like this whole thing is so absurd and it's it's just so obscene that they're like, OK, you know what? I got to save my own political career. Right. Because especially if they're first time MPs, you have to serve six years to get the pension. Right. So a lot of them want the pension. Um, so they're like, I got to save my own career. I'm not going down with this ship because the liberals pushed it too far. And uh, 
So, I mean, we welcome all that, you know, the support and, uh, and whatnot, but I think a lot of that certainly on, uh, as it applies to the NDP or the block, um, that's resulted in a lot of delays for Bill C-21. So how that's affecting you is when the bill gets out of, out of the committee stage, it goes for a third reading, it's basically a third vote. Of course, they have the votes to pass it. And then the Senate will go through a, a very similar committee structure as that. They'll make their own suggestions for amendments. They'll send it back to the House. When it gets to the House, liberals will reject all of those ideas and send it out to the governor general to sign for royal assent so it becomes law. Um, so the strategy for us right now is we want to delay this bill as long as possible. For one, that bill doesn't become part of our lives. So, And right now it's being delayed terribly because there is a bit of a, a, of a rebellion from some MPs and certainly on the public safety committee. Now the NDP and the block are like, ooh, our constituents are really angry. And we'll get into that later, how you can actually make a difference by pressuring these MPs with letter writing and whatnot. But they're like, okay, well, we gotta, we gotta mount at least some resistance so that we can keep our jobs if another election is called. Uh, so right now the liberals are outvoted on the, on the public safety committee. So it's gonna be a really long and arduous process for them to, to get these crazy amendments in, certainly. And that's gonna delay the timeline. And if I, if I would share something important uh, with your, uh, your viewers or listeners, one of the most important things is we had this landmark court case that the CCFR launched. And what's really important is that we get a judgment. We may overturn the May 2020 uh, OIC, but that can be turned back using legislation. They could just do it the right way and get that done. But what's important is that we can overturn it. We may be able to go back to normal, be able to buy and sell our rifles. So that will allow people to get rid of firearms or to accumulate them however they want. But what's really important is this a, is this a property rights issue. Now, if this legislation were to pass and enshrine that gun ban into legislation, our case is at risk of being, de being declared moot. Right. So the, the judge might might say, well, it doesn't matter what this judgment would be. The, the net result is the same. So I'm going to just end the case as being moot. We don't want that. We want a judgment because there's a lot going on in this in this lawsuit about property rights, about how, how firearms are classified in Canada. Some really there's a constitutional question in there. That's one of the reasons why it's been so expensive. Um, but we need those things. So the good news is um, Parliament has risen meaning they won't, be, they won't be working. There's no more meetings for the Public Safety Committee. There's no nothing till the end of January. Then they come back and they're still fighting over these amendments. And they're talking about tr doing travel because they, they never cons uh, consulted Indigenous communities, which was their duty to, and they never did. There's such a rush to, to reap political rewards with urban voters, they couldn't care less about their promises to Indigenous. So anyway, they have to do this consultation. So that could push it into June. So if, if we can get it, so that it doesn't even reach the Senate by June, they rise in the middle of June and they don't come back to work till the middle of September. They get a long time off. Um, so that means that this bill might be passed towards the end of the year, if all goes well. Well, our court date is in April and we're probably gonna have to wait three months for an actual decision, April, May, June, July. So maybe by August at the latest, we should have a verdict, you know, a, a legal decision in our court case. So that's one of the biggest things that's going on right now. We wanna delay this bill so that we can get our decision and, uh, and at least get something out of this. 
Okay, right on. So, and you said if they prorogue government, if if Trudeau comes back in the new year, prorogues it, this all goes out the window. The C21's gone. Or is it just the this latest amendment or does the whole thing go? So typically all the bills that are in process will die on the order paper. Okay. So what that means is they all have to be restarted, reintroduced, first, second reading, committee, third reading to the Senate, amendments back and royal assent. So that whole process starts over again. So our understanding is that the government is taking a lot of heat, not just for Bill C-21, but for Bill C-11 as well, which is the censorship bill, the online censorship bill. And it is a monstrous bill, like just monstrous. So there's a lot of things that the government's taking heat on. So we're un our understanding is they may prorogue to kill all those bills, fix them and reintroduce them. If that happens, we're in really good shape on Bill C-21. And then when's, when's our, I'm hearing, I heard today somebody saying, uh, and again, just somebody. So what's it worth? But potentially an election in 23, like in the spring of 23, that there's rumor that that could happen as well. So um, so in theory, those, the election isn't in theory going to affect the bill. However, if there's a change, if there was a, for example, um, the coalition died or the liberals were a minority or the, or the conservatives had a minority, then that all, I guess the conservatives would do something about it, change it likely, right? So is that so is if that there's the an election, there? if there's an election, all bills die no matter what. If they, oh, pro, they do. Okay. yeah, if they prorogue, okay. all bills die. But apparently, there's a way for them to bring back a bill at its at its current okay. state or something like that. So an election kills all bills no matter what, which is again that's great. But if you really want to save your guns, and you know a variety of other issues, obviously, if you're paying attention, and I'm I'm sorry if you are because it's it's a little it's kind of terrible, right? But the whole country's upside down, right? So there's a lot of different reasons to make sure that the liberals don't sit anywhere near. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a former liberal voter, right? I voted liberal all through my early adulthood. And, you know, if you really want to save your guns and get the government out of your life, at least for the most part, you have to play an active part if an election is called. That is your one most significant chance of changing the way that you're going to live your life and your children are going to live their lives is, is to is to participate in an election. And if there's one in the spring, I'm hoping that will be a godsend for us. Um, unless we lose it again. If we lose it again, we're in, we're in big trouble. Yeah. So I want to go down that rabbit hole in a minute. Before we go there, you talked about First Nations rights. And I found it, I read somewhere that uh, the the Justice Department, their, their consultation was they made the minds up for First Nations because they thought this was best. So there was zero consultation regarding C21 at all. So now First Nations, they've actually publicly taken a statement against this. So um, does we, well, we know in BC here, anything I do on wildlife, um, it has to go through consultation. The government never does anything without consultation. So is there a legal precedence there that is going to slow this down or affect this, or, or, or are they just pushing it through regardless? Well, I haven't heard the quote directly, so I'm always careful about that. But I'm told the, um, the what is it, the Association of First Nations? Anyway, the... Um, the Assembly, I think. Assembly, that's, that's correct. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the Assembly of First Nations has rejected Bill C-21. It's is my understanding in its, in its entirety, is my understanding. I could be wrong. Um, but there, there uh, have been either other groups or the Assembly itself said that they will legally challenge C-21 if it if it's not withdrawn or becomes law so it, that's that's good news and i think i think the most important the most significant idea about 
First Nations standing up and saying, you know what, federal government, this overreach has got to stop somewhere and we're going to we're going to stand up against it. And of course, target shooters, right? Sport shooters have always been fighting the government 24-7 forever because, like I said, we're the tip of the spear, right? We're the first ones to, you know, we have the scariest looking guns and the handguns, right? But Hunter standing up. It's it's funny because people are like, well, you know, that doesn't do any good and this letter writing and and whatever. It's it does it actually does a lot of good because when everyone stands up together, you're getting a taste of what's possible when we all stand up together. And you know, on the television show and on the podcast, I'm always encouraging hunters. I'm like, listen, you're you're just a little bit further down the line. You're in line whether you know it or not. You're just further mm -hmm. down the line, right? And it's really important. And and the overwhelming majority of hunters are like, well, I got a bolt action lever. It's never going to affect me. You and your crazy guns in your handguns. Nobody needs a handgun. And it's like, well, people are going to say that same thing about the guns that you own. And how confident are you that the government's going to stop short, just short of affecting the firearms that you own? Well, now they're, now they're getting it and they're all standing up. So while I think a lot of sports shooters are like, well, thanks for coming to the party, you know, late or whatever, <laughs> I'm very thankful. Mm -hmm. I'm, and, and I think it's a really good demonstration. Everyone has to stand up together. You know, if I lose my guns, you're next. And I'm, I'm, and I guess in a way, in a, in a morbid way, I'm glad that at least we've been shown a demonstration of that so that we mm -hmm. can be a uni unified front and let people know that we are, we're just, we're just as worthy of respect as anyone else in Canada, even though we have firearms, right? Yeah, agreed. I, I wrote an article about two and a half years ago. So May, 2020, when it first came out and I said it, I wrote it for BC Outdoors and it went viral. It was called, uh, but it's just assault rifles. And I dug into it saying that's, just the tip of the wedge they're going to continue to come and here we are two two years later i wrote a follow-up saying see told you so so as you said we we need to stand up together and we we do have a powerful powerful voice if we could just come together and realize that all firearms are on the table it's not just uh, handguns it's not just the scary assault rifles it's not just the ten thousand jewels etc etc one voice makes a real difference it does it, it makes a huge difference. And it's funny because um, we do at the CCFR, we do a lot of projects, right? We're constantly doing projects. And one of our projects was the original season of CCFR radio on the air on WOW TV. And it's a lot of work to do television. Like compared to podcast, television is a lot of work. And I'm not a big fan of doing it, but I, I thought it was worthwhile. And a lot of people would criticize that. They'd be like, well, why are you putting, you know, you're, you're preaching to the converted on wild TV to hunters, right? They're, they're already on board. I'm like, no, 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 no. They're not already on board. Most, most gun owners of the 2.3 million are not on board because they're not getting their stuff taken and telling them, Hey, listen, the only way that we can get results as sports shooters is to have you standing beside us. The only way for you to get results as hunters is for sports shooters and everyone else and first nations and everyone standing beside you. So it's, it's, uh, it's not preaching to the converted. It's trying to wake up aspects of, you know, uh, uh, parts of our community that are just doing their own thing. And you know what? They shouldn't even have to be dealing with this for sure. Like the government just shouldn't be in your life. That's not the role of government, but, but it is. So, um, as I said, I'm, I'm very grateful that everyone's waking up now and, and, uh, and good work writing articles like that and having those conversations in your community, you know, um, um, who are among the last to be affected by this stuff, but I'm glad it's happening now. So, Rod, you talk, you know, the CCFR does a ton of advocacy work. Um, you have the lawsuit, you have um, the uh, lobbying that you guys do. Uh, 
and obviously that's having an effect and an impact, and it's important work. How how important is this First Nations piece, or for example, the Carey Price thing? Um, how big a deal does that move the needle? Is that a big deal? Does that help us, or is it just is that just you know whatever? It's just yeah. Well, it is. How it is a is big deal. Stuff? Yeah, and I think I think every gun owner can thank Carey Price because it you know it's funny because if you start zooming into the actions of individuals. Kerry Price is a multimillionaire, one of the greatest goalies of all time, you know, a Canadian treasure. I mean, he there's no benefit for him to stick his head up and 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 talk about gun control. Because as we, you know, I think people forget guns are legal in Canada and there's absolutely nothing wrong with owning them. It's a it's a it's a it's a incredibly uh important piece of Canadian culture and Canadian heritage. Right. We we get just run down all the time like we're some kind of USA wannabes. Like we've had guns since before Confederation in Canada, like literally hundreds of years. It's in the firearm safety course that that, that, that that's the case. But anyone who sticks their head up, here comes the axe to chop it off. And Carrie Price experienced that. But you know what? And he's got a huge legacy at risk, too, because um, it was like like Don Cherry. Right. He said one wrong thing. And the mob comes for you no matter what. He could have apologized 30 times and the mob still would have destroyed him. Um, but Kerry, Kerry experienced it and he held his ground. Like he said, hey, I'm sorry about the timing. I didn't mean to offend anybody, which is, I think, I think what a considerate person does. Like, I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable with the work I'm doing either. But at the same time, there's just either something's true or it's not. So Kerry, uh, he, he, he didn't back down. He, uh, he, he. He said, yeah, no, I still believe that I should be able to own a firearm and, you know, coming after my hunting guns is, is unacceptable. And, and he held his ground, but he definitely got to experience what it's like when you talk about gun control, when you're not for gun control in Canada, in the mainstream, it's, it's, it's pretty ugly. Yeah. Just the spin the media had on it. It just was nauseating. Incredible. When it first came out, everyone was lauding him and I was too, but I'm like, oh, here we go. It's just, this is, you know. It, there's good. I just what's the backlash, and of course there was, and you know I didn't know what it was going to be, but I just knew there was going to be because the media, right away, they were like, hey, like what the hell, right? They so, piled right on top was, of them, right? Yeah, like all of them, all of them, and they they attached because he's like he's a supporter of the CCFR, obviously, and right away, so they smear us and then hitch our wagon to him to hurt him mm-hmm. more, like to hurt him, mm-hmm. right? And some clown, yeah. and. uh I can say the the I can say clown, right? So, <laughs> so some clown, I think it was in the Montreal Gazette or I'm not sure, but he's like, well, now, you know, the Canadians can never retire Carey Price's number because of what he's done. I'm like, whoa, hang on a minute. What exactly did he do? The guy's got a firearms license and is a hunter, took a picture saying, I'm a law-abiding Canadian. Uh, don't don't take my firearm, my hunting guns. And you know what? I uh, uh you know. And I support a, an advocacy organization. And like, literally they're like, he can't, mm-hmm. we can't retire his number now. You swear he was kicking puppies wearing their Jersey type thing. It was absolutely terrible. Oh, is it like, it's, I think, I think we're so desensitized from all this canceling mm-hmm. that we're just like, well, you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like, no, think about that for a second. Put yourself in his shoes where he's like, he's a, a one in 10 million level talented guy had this incredible career you know, made Canadians proud. People have been cheering millions of, of, of Canadians cheering him on his entire career. It's like, well, you make one, one wrong post, you're done. Like mm-hmm. you've literally, it's like you've literally killed a child or something like that level of outrage. 
Yeah. And then they blame him for the timing. But it was the liberal government that brought this mm -hmm. amendment really close to the anniversary of the shooting, December mm -hmm. 6th. So yeah. who's who's leveraging that? Yeah. So it's just it's very I think you get caught up in, in, in the media hype. You don't, it's, it's so difficult on you intellectually, like just emotionally, you don't want to resist and you're like, Oh, I'm just going to go along with it. Cause it's easier, you know, mentally easier for me just to go along with it. Yeah. He should never have said that. It's like, well, wait a mm -hmm. minute. You didn't say anything wrong at all. But anyway, that's, that's what it is to, to stick your head up against uh, this government and the mainstream media in Canada right now. Mm -hmm. Well, the frustrating part was the, the Canadians, Montreal, they, they they got on price as well. They're like, yeah, you shouldn't have said it, blah blah blah. And it was like, come on, like you know, this is your. And it, interesting enough, it was I think again the block block or somebody was defending the guy and say, hey, don't paint Carrie with a bad brush because of that. You know, he's not a bad guy. He just you know, but it, it, it was ridiculous. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's insane. We can talk the whole Spe podcast. Speaking about. of ridiculous, let's get into something a little bit more fun. I think let's dispel some myths. Did they ban a website? Um, did they ban a website <clears throat> there was like AR15.com? Yeah, I think if I, if I remember correctly, I think it was, yeah, I can't remember whether they did or not. There was another one. It was a, a black rifle company and people were saying yeah. they, they banned a banned coffee. The coffee. No, it wasn't, there was a manufacturer called black rifle company That's that, right. that made a, a rifle. So that something similar could be with. Uh, AR15.com. Yeah. So, yeah, but anyway, that's that's what I found. I found from doing research because you're always seeing people. Well, they banned a coffee. They yeah. they banned a website. Boy. No, yeah. no, they didn't. They they mm -hmm. they were pretty in depth with what they did. Like uh, there was an AR15.com. Like, you go back 15 years, whatever it was. It's now canceled. Mm -hmm. They had one AR that they put out, one variant. So they got that type of thing. And it's it the, when they did the coffee. That was Black Rifle Coffee Company marketing brilliantly because they saw something so similar and everybody bought into it. It's still going around social media and uh, firearms owners need to pay attention before they start sharing things that uh, are no doubt put out there to try and make us look dumb. Like mm -hmm. there's that one that was going around last week. I don't know if you saw it. It was the uh, support the Second Amendment in Canada and your firearms. I'm like, oh, no. Oh no, that, that went viral as well. It's like, no, we, we don't have that. We've, we've, we've got somebody trying to, to get it enshrined, but right now we don't have it. So yeah, I, I just wanted to quickly touch on the coffee and the AR15.com to try and get it from the source, so to speak that no, those things didn't happen. They, they were legit firearms that they got. So. Yeah. Well, there's a, another one in the, uh, in the May, 2020, that it was, um, it was the Black Hawk edition, something like that. And there was a, there was a pellet gun or airsoft that was an AR-15 variant called the Black Hawk Edition. But they, um, so we were like, oh, they're, you know, they banned an airsoft rifle as an assault style firearm. Uh, but it turns out that there was actually a rifle um, called that. And, and it had an identical rifle that was, was airsoft. So anyway, so there are a few things like that floating around. Yeah, it certainly doesn't help. One last thing I want to clear up before we, we talk about next steps and where we go from here. What what happens now? So handgun, you can't buy a handgun. You can't you can't sell. Um, what happens if C twenty one dies? Like we said, it runs out the clock, or they prorogue, or whatever. What happens with that uh, so, handgun? Yeah. So with the handgun thing, it's still a regulation. So there's an import ban on handguns in Canada, and there's um, a regulation that says you cannot uh, transfer a registration for handguns. So 
that will stay in place even if LC21 dies. Although, like we said in the beginning, the the benefit or the 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 uh, the glass half full part of that is if we even get a conservative minority government, they can repeal those regulations. They can repeal the OIC, the original one back in on May um, May first, twenty twenty, and they can repeal this handgun thing, and everything goes back to normal. Basically, um, that's possible now. The the not the half empty part of that is. Will it be politically palatable to most Canadians? Because governments, they want to get in power and they want to stay in power. They don't want to be one-term governments. So they're gonna, there's going to be a very complex calculus being performed on whether they should make all of these firearms that were prohibited legal again. You know, is that a threat to public safety? Of course it isn't. Like that, That's the reality. That's the truth. But truth and politics are two different things. But anyway, yeah, a minority government can roll this all back as long as more legislation isn't passed. Okay. All right. Good. Thanks for clarifying. Okay. So now to me, this is, there was a bunch of stuff that I really wanted you on for, but this is the important part to me. And what can we do as just regular Joes to make a difference for this and to, to stop what's happening with regards to C21? Well, there's a free, uh, there's a few things you can do. I think it's really important if you, if you go to firearmrights.ca or ccfr.ca, either one will get you there. There's a, there was a, a post that we made in a little, a little campaign called um, bury them, bury the de their desks in mail or something. I didn't do it. It was uh, Tracy Wilson that did it. Um, but basically letter writing. And the reason why letter writing is, and you don't have to write the letter. Uh, we give you a template, you print it out, you put your name on it, you fold it and tape it and you throw it right in the mail. You don't need postage if you're sending mail to an MP or parliament. So it costs you nothing but the piece of paper and a few minutes of your time. Um, but uh, the reason why when they get letters, if they're in the thousands or tens of thousands, it makes an impression upon an individual MP. And this is where this is where we can exert that pressure aside from an, an election. Election is a completely different matter and way more important. But what you can do now is, is write yourself um, send a letter to your MP, local MP, in, to their office, their constituency office that's in your community. Also their office uh, on Parliament Hill, they all have an office there too. You can send them to Marco Mendicino and you can send them to Bill Blair and you can send them to anybody that you want. You can send it to every single MP in Parliament. But when you do that, what happens is mail just starts pouring in and these people start thinking, they go into self-preservation mode like we talked about the, MP, the uh, NDP and the block MPs are like, my constituents are extremely unhappy. It happens. It's happening to um, Alistair McGregor over on Vancouver Island. And, you know, it's funny. Alistair's been uh, a lot more reasonable lately, I think, because he's getting so much pressure put on him um, to, to stop all this stuff. But don't don't ever forget, he voted for C-21, the first version before the election. He voted for C-21 in first and second reading. He was fine with banning handguns. He was fine with banning certain long guns. He was okay with the OIC, the big the big fire uh, long gun ban before. Right now he's pushing back. Why? Because his constituents are flooding him with mail and calling him and asking for appointments to talk about C21 and whatnot. And he's like, I'm not going to get reelected if I follow the party line. Remember, it's Jagmeet that says, Alistair, you're going to vote for this. Right. I got to deal with with Justin Trudeau. And he's like, OK, because if he doesn't follow party lines, they get kicked out of caucus, meaning he can't call himself an NDP candidate. He has to run as an independent. And that's a big disadvantage. He doesn't get party money for 
reelection. He doesn't get the party brand. He's just got to be like, ah, I'm Alistair, you know, vote me in. Right. So anyway, it's, it's, it's complicated, but when you go to talk to your MP, when you call them, when you send mail, it's, it's an important indicator. That's, that's how they get the buzz of what's going on in their constituency. So I, I can't tell you uh, how important that is to do. And of course, if an election comes, you've, you've got to pick your candidate that's going to vote against these kinds of things. And you've got to volunteer for them. And you got to go door to door. You got to do anything you can to help them get elected. It's, uh, it's all or nothing this time. Mm-hmm. So those are the yeah. things you so, can do. Rod, where's what letter template do people use? Is there one on the CCFR website that we can download and use that as a yeah. framework? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. November okay. twenty November twenty fourth. Bury their desks in letters. That's what it is. Yeah, and I I talk okay. to my my elected officials every other day, both uh, provincially and uh, federally. I literally texted with my MP this morning, <laughs> so. I, I know how. Yeah, but it is. unfortunately, your guy's blue. And, he uh, is. How effective still, is that? It's still. But still I'm not saying don't do it, but yeah, 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 yeah. No, well said for sure. Mine is not blue, so uh, I've got some more work to do. I got to go meet with her and talk to her. And um, so, okay, if I show up at her office and I have 150 letters, is that powerful or is it whatever? It doesn't make any difference if people just take their letters in. So if I if I call all my friends and say, hey, this is affecting us, give me send the letter in, or if I show up with the letters, is that more effective or it's all the same? Well, I would say send them in, right? The whole point is he comes in and he's got a stack of mail like uh-huh. this, right? And he's like, what are all these? And even if they're even if they're all the same, but they yeah. came from different people, they're like, oh, this is a C21 thing, man. How am I going right. to vote for this? You know, like I'm just going to get destroyed, right? Like that's what you want right. them thinking because that's, that's how you get them saying, I'm not going to lose my seat because Jagmeet's telling me to vote for a bad bill. Mm-hmm. Let him let him lose his seat. I'm not doing it. And that's that's how you get people breaking ranks like you're seeing now, even with a couple of liberal MPs. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, we're, if, sure. if you go in there with 150 letters, like my, my officials say, you go in with 150, 200 letters and the other side is only sending five or six. It doesn't matter what side I sit on. I have to go with the strong majority. Yeah. Yeah, it's what your constituents want. And that's, that's right. and if you listen to Alistair McGregor's comments, I mean, he's like, yeah, my constituents are not happy about this. And it's like, well, yeah, you have to let them know that. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, okay. That's on my to-do list. Okay. And then our listeners should join the CCFR. 40 bucks a year is a membership. Um, it's less than a Starbucks coffee almost these days, I think. So um, obviously a <laughs> yeah. no-brainer to support you guys there. Um, what else can we do to support this, you know, to sort this thing out? Um, uh, donations, I guess that goes a long way. Where does that money go? What, how important is that? What does that support? Well, it is important. Um, the, the court case, the court case that we have has been the most expensive project we've ever done, right? Like we've done a lot of projects we did. Well, has it been? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Far and away. <laughs> I had never <laughs> thought of that question before. Has that been the most expensive for sure? Um, so that, you know, we spent $2 million on that lawsuit. And the reason for that is there's a constitutional question in there. And we actually hired a team of constitutionally experienced lawyers from uh, JSS Barristers in Alberta. So very high-end boutique law firm with, uh, with experience. In fact, our lead, um, our lead lawyer on, the, on that case used to clerk for the Supreme Court of Canada. So we were like, okay, we can have one guy kind of show up there. It'll be cheap. We'll get our, but, you know, we may not win. Um, or we can say, you know what, let's go all in and just see, because no, no firearm organization or individual ever did it at this level before uh, on behalf of firearm owners. And it was like, well, would it make a difference? At least let's try it once. 
let's see if, if, if getting a team of people at that level will work for us. And, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. But we think that we're going to get something out of it. So that's been a really expensive uh, project, but we've done other things, obviously, like we did uh, 68 full page newspaper ads uh, in 17 different newspapers across the country. And it was an open letter and then also a sponsored article with a website and explainer video and all this stuff on property rights and guns and all over. You know, we do, we do big projects like that. So that's where our donations go. We're still a, a, a very small organization, just a handful of people doing a lot of work um, to just fight against this in every possible way. You know, some people are like, well, yeah, I'm still losing my gun. It's like, well, <laughs> I don't care if I had $50 million in the bank. I can't remove the federal government of Canada, but I can sure make their lives miserable in the interim. I can sure coordinate putting pressure on these MPs so that they don't vote for those bills. And I can sure help another party win when the election rolls around. So there's a lot of different projects that we do to, yeah, to, those, to those goals. Yeah, well, well done, Rod, and and on behalf of the society, we're so grateful. And I guess you know, just I'll take a two minute podium speech here and just say that um, as hunter conservationists, you know, the backbone of what we do is conservation. But we are filled with hunter conservationists. We are hunters. We are legal firearm owners. And it's been pretty clear on this podcast to me that uh, you know our way of life, what we like to do. To, to have a legal firearm on the landscape is at stake here. And and we've just seen a trend. This trend's been very, very clear. And now it's getting closer and closer and closer to home. So uh, the Wild Sheep Society BC, our board of directors met um, a couple weeks back and we, we've we actually made a board motion to support the CCFR and the great work that you guys are doing. Um, we're going to contribute $20,000 towards the CCFR and their advocacy work to, to make sure that legal um, law-abiding hunter conservationists can still go out and do what they believe in. So, um, you know, we still feel strongly about it as our board. We've heard from our members. Our members are telling us to get involved, that we need to support you guys. Um, and of course, our executive does and our board of directors feels that way too. So um, we're really excited to partner to support you guys on this, the great work that you're doing and just so grateful for everything that the CF CCFR continues to do every day. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that support um, because we never know you know, how long we're going to be able to do this and, and at what level too, right? Because we have to make a decision whether or not we can do specific projects. And uh, that level of, that's unusual, your level of support. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's, uh, and it's funny, it's, it's, I, let me just share one thing with you if, you, if you don't mind. But it's funny, we, I'm at, you know, Tracy Wilson and myself, like we're at the front of, we're at the forefront of the CCFR, right? So, we're the, we're the interface for most people with the CCFR. So we do, I mean, I, we get a lot of abuse, right? <laughs> you know, I got a, a wonderful letter last night hoping that I die of cancer. Um, but this is, that's not unusual. Um, but, you know, I don't care about those people. But we get so much support, so much adoration. Like, oh, thank you so much. And, and but I think, and I've said this before, if you're familiar with, with our podcast or whatever, right? But it's, it's like people have it backwards. To, for, for me to be in a position where I get support that level of support from a group like yours and from people like you, it is an absolute privilege to be in this position because as an individual, I get to go, okay, well, I know that all these people are behind me. They're helping me. Now I can turn around and I can continue to slap the government in the face every time that they do something like this to our community. And th that that's actually a position of extreme privilege in my mind because who gets an opportunity to do that? And they can back it up and say, yeah, you want, oh, you know what? We'll sue you. And we'll hire a whole team of, of lawyers. We'll put, you know, newspaper ads out, you know, in every major newspaper, including the the uh, the, the Globe and Mail, 
and the uh, the National Post and the Montreal Gazette and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, like it just it is an absolute privilege uh, to do this work on behalf of organizations and supporters like you guys. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, both personally and on behalf of the CCFR. Well, we appreciate you, and you know, for our listeners, we just encourage you guys to to wake up, pay attention. Um, you know, we never, this is always the knock on our community is we got to stick together and we got to support each other. And, you know, we all have our little micro niches that we believe in, whether you're, you know, whatever y- your thing is, but we got to stick together. And, um, you know, a big part of what we do is being threatened here. And, you know, we, we keep getting more and more nervous. And what point do we say, come on, let's stand up and do something. So thank you guys for doing that great work for us. And it's the least that we can do is stand up and, and be a small part of a much bigger uh, program that you guys are doing there. So um, I guess in closing, Rod, uh, any thoughts or, or I guess a call to action, what else can we do? Anything that we need to touch on before we let you go for the day? Well, um, when, when C21 uh, really lit up with these amendments, um, there was a, a, a lot of pushback. Everybody's like, well, what are we going to do? And uh, a couple of podcasts ago, I said, well, I'm going to lay out the whole plan for you. So the reason I'm telling you this is uh, we finalized our plan. Like we've been do, we did the letter writing campaign and we've been doing, you know, uh, we went to Parliament Hill. We testified for committee. We, I just came back a uh, week before last from Ottawa. We did a, um, a press conference right there in Parliament Hill as well. Uh, met with some conservative MPs, all the rest of that stuff. But we will be rolling our counterattack plan out um, towards the end of January. So about five weeks, six weeks from now. So stay tuned to the CCFR because we will be releasing all that stuff. We're working on all the, the, uh, the collateral and the infrastructure for that whole plan right now. Um, but we'll be releasing that out at the, uh, at the end of, uh, end of January. So there'll be a role for everyone to play, uh, on a lot of different levels there. So keep an eye out for that. And you'll, you'll, the answer to what are you going to do with donations? You'll see what we're going to do with donations, uh, in the month of January. And your track record spoken for yourself, the stuff that you guys have already done. You just talked about $2 million lawsuit, all, you know, your your campaigns. And so, yeah, I, I'm not looking for you to justify it by any stretch, but we look forward to that. And I look forward to that. So I'll be be tuning in. And, and uh, so with that, Rod, I want to thank you, CCFR, and your entire team for all the great work you're doing. Um, I'll continue to support you guys. I'm a proud member and encourage our listeners. If you, uh, if you can check out the CCFR, if you can support, do it by membership. It's dirt cheap. And uh, more importantly, if you can donate and, and support for the advocacy cause, then we need to get involved. So Merry Christmas, sir. Thank you for all you do. And we'll, we'll chat soon. I'm sure. Merry Christmas. Thanks again for all the help. I really appreciate it.